Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast. And you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. And this is Pat. (laughs) (laughs) You said the whole thing. (laughs) All right, let's try that again. Take two. Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast. And you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives. And this is Pat. (laughs) 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 Why aren't you at your post? (laughs) Cut, print, check the gate, moving on. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. All right, so for this week, we are diving back into the Star Wars Holiday Special, and to help me do that, I have, once again, the Holiday Cheermeister and uh, co-pilot Tom Howell, as well as a special guest, uh, Gordon Smooter, who is a gentleman who reached out to us after last year's special uh, and wanted to kind of present his side of the fandom, which is uh, coming from someone who really appreciates the Star Wars Holiday Special. And I, I think I understand some reasons why that may be the case, and I think we'll get into that. But first, I want to thank you guys both for joining me today. I'm really happy to be here. This is this is awesome. I, you know, <laughs> more Star Wars, more, more, more. Right. <laughs> Rob, you know, I'm always happy to be with you on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, and I'm honored to have this great guest with us who loves something that uh, maybe isn't something that we enjoy as much, but maybe he can enlighten us as to why we should enjoy the Star Wars holiday special that much more. Yeah, and actually we'll get into that in just a moment, Um, but one of the things that I learned as I was kind of looking at Gordon, uh, you have Puppet Forge the the puppet forge i'm sorry um dot com which is your website where you do a lot of puppet related stuff and it kind of gives a little bit of your background uh in terms of your work history and the fact that you were in special visual effects uh starting back in 1991 so you've got some background in a lot of the types of things that made star wars so successful uh especially in the original trilogy uh so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in that boy uh where where do i begin um (laughs) i ended up uh, you know, I graduated from high school. I got a bunch of different odd jobs um, and jobs that were completely disparate. So I worked at a toy store. I worked at a game store. But then I also worked at a banner factory. And then I worked at a law firm. And then, I, you know, it was all these different things. But um, I had always had a penchant for building stuff. Um, that was my 
I, I, I guess you could call me a passive, not a passive aggressive builder. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, it's, it's in me. I can't, I can't stop. Oh yeah. So, uh, uh, <laughs> I ended up running into some guys who actually in here in Minneapolis, that's where I live. Um, they were starting a special effects studio and, uh, they had gotten started because they discovered that Minneapolis was a big commercial town. We actually produced a lot of TV commercials, TV ads here. So along the way, I ended up just kind of hooking up with them. And one day they said, we are shorthanded. Can you come in? Uh, and I was like, sure. And so I took a day of vacation off from my regular job and went to work for them. And I made telephone buttons that got put onto a watermelon for a TV spot. That was my first official real TV special effects job. So uh, e eventually they hired me on full time. And 24, 25 years later, I had finally, you know, kind of burned out and decided to go into puppetry because nice. I literally, we were on the very tail end of the, the physical effects, yeah. you know, the, the, the real, you know, make it happen for real in front of camera uh, kind of effects. And we didn't really expand into uh, the digital thing. I'm, I'm terrible with computers. I, mm -hmm. I've never, ever had any inclination towards the technology side of that. And so I became a boat anchor real quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, one day my wife just said, you know what? You're not making any money doing physical effects anymore. So figure out something new. Yeah. And uh, I was I had it in my head that starting a puppet business was probably a fun thing to do. And I had a lot of confidence in my own ability to make money. And, and uh, so I moved on from the special effects company. And uh, since then, I've made thousands and thousands and thousands of puppets. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Yeah, that's actually a really cool uh, tie in, because I know one of the things you had sent, you had reached out to us after we did the special last year. And, you know, you had a lot of great points. Uh, and one of the things that you had also sent along was a link to one of your Transylvania television spots that you guys play you were doing at the time, uh, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, you know, like a charity event. Um, there locally where you guys would play the holiday special and you guys would create some puppet shorts uh, beforehand that would kind of dovetail into that with some questions for the crowd and things like that. So I believe that was called Transylvania Television. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that as well? Um, yeah, many years ago uh, when the Muppets had been bought by Disney, when that first happened, there was an announcement at a puppetry festival that Disney was going to be casting understudies for the Muppets, just in case, you know. So I figured, well, you know, I could probably try my hand at that. So I ended up going out to Los Angeles and going to the cattle call and flushing out in the first round. <laughs> and, and that was about that. Wow. Um, there's a much longer story that surrounds it, but I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll spare you. And after that, I realized that I really did want to do this work. I really wanted to, you know, uh, perform puppets and especially do it for television and film. And so uh, at that point, the epiphany came to me. No one is going to walk up to you on the street and say, you look like a great puppeteer. Would you like to work on a movie? <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. It's like, um, you know, it's like being a singer. Right. You either you either show that you're a singer and mm -hmm. show that you're good or no one's ever going to know that you're a singer. So 
when I realized that, I understood that it was going to be up to me. And I had had some uh, fun working with some guys, independent filmmakers, and we had just gotten done doing uh, a movie called Planetfall, which was a sci-fi, low-budge sci-fi thing that my wife and I had just kind of volunteered for. And we made a bunch of little kind of props and stuff for the actors and costume pieces and that sort of thing. And uh, the guy who had directed that, Michael Hegel, um, he was over at my house one day and he saw these two puppets that I had sitting there that I had started. And they were um, they were nascent things. They They were just kind of practice pieces that I had been working on. Um, one was a big orange hairy monster, and the other one was uh, basically a naked vampire puppet that wasn't finished yet. And he said, so you ever thought about doing anything with these puppets? And I said, yeah, every damn day. But I'm not a film guy. I don't, you know, I don't run a camera. I don't run sound. I don't run lighting, all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, I know those guys, so let's do something. And we started working on this concept of how do you bring how do you make a show with monster characters that is funny but still has some kind of relevance and uh, we eventually cooked up Transylvania Television which uh, uh, is uh, transylvania-tv.com perfect uh, we we ended up making uh was it 8 half hours i think it's like wow. 8 half hours and a halloween special like a 45 minute halloween special um, now here's the thing it's puppets but it's for grownups. Yes. So um, most of our naughty words are beeped out <laughs> because, because those of us who grew up in the 70s think that's funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, you know, it, it's it's the story of a uh, Yeti who goes to work at a TV station in Transylvania being run by a vampire um, and hijinks ensue. Yeah. Um, they uh, they end up creating. Well, the, the, the TV station doesn't have enough power to reach past the Carpathian Alps. So uh, the, <laughs> the Yeti gets the bright idea to hook the transmitter up to the Frankenstein device, which is in the castle, the thing that brought Frankenstein's monster to life. And so suddenly they have worldwide penetration. Uh, the, uh, the upshot is, is that the Frankenstein device also starts resurrecting old dead TV shows <laughs> and giving them new twisted episodes. So that's the basis of it anyway. Yeah, and there's um, a perfect tie-in into what we're talking about today, the uh, the holiday yeah. special. So again, if, if you want to talk about something that I think even some of the actors uh, had hoped was going to kind of die and go away. I know Harrison Ford claims to have complete amnesia about this and therefore it never happened. Uh, you know, and, and I think that it's often used as the punchline for a lot of people and a lot of jokes. Uh, and there are certainly some some things about it that are almost unwatchable. I, I know that Tom and I have talked about that, but there's a lot in there, especially with the advent of the Mandalorian. And we did talk about it a little bit last year, the, the Boba Fett cartoon short that plays as part of that holiday special um, was pulled from pretty extensively uh, with regard to shaping some of the things about the Mandalorian, including that Ambin phase pulse blaster that he had. <laughs> uh, we won't get into too many spoilers uh, for anyone right. who's not completely current, but you know, I, I know that uh, you know you've got a real passion for this, and kind of what are what are the things about it that really appeal to you? Back in '78, when it happened, you know, I was I was prime Star Wars age. I mean, I you know it was it was uh, it was magic that Star Wars was going to be on TV. You know, we had no idea how good or bad it was going to be right but you know they they announced this thing 
But I think a lot of the a lot of the criticism that it gets comes from people who don't have a real good basis of comparison mm-hmm. for the entertainment of the time. Um, we're talking about the era of the Donnie and Marie show. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the era of the Mandrell sisters, Barbara Mandre- Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters, all of these variety shows. That was the staple of regular television. Right. Um, and then every year they would have special event kind of shows that were also uh, 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 these these variety shows. Mm-hmm. So um, even The Muppet Show, The Muppet Show was a variety show. Yeah. And uh, so it was not uh, out of the way idea. It wasn't something crazy or stupid to think that, oh, we got Star Wars and we got a holiday thing. So let's mash them together and make, uh, you know, make a TV special out of it for some folks that, you know, may not have been alive. I know that people (laughs) are younger than me Uh, (laughs) uh, at the time. Things that were happening in 1978. Christopher Reeve became Superman for the first time. Um, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler, happened. That was one of his famous songs. Um, Another really, really terrible, terrible movie, which I happen to love, happened in 1978. And that was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the Bee Gees. (laughs) So the level of entertainment that we're talking about here, it's just kind of... Uh, you know, it, 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 uh, um, we are, we are much more sophisticated these days and we're much more sophisticated at a younger age these days for the quality of our entertainment. So it is a little unfair to really hit on the star Wars holiday special. It's kind of, it's kind of like joking about the, the sparklers coming out of the back of flash Gordon's spaceship in the old serials, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's what they had. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and it was amazing for them. Yeah, and and the the thing is, is you look at Star Wars, and what Lucas had done with Star Wars really was to take sci-fi films, which were largely just complete disasters financially, uh, and were really founded on you know some some pretty low end uh, effects, and to launch that entire special effects industry so far forward that, you know, the films are still relevant today and, and a lot of the effects still hold up. Uh, I totally understand what you're talking about with, with there not being a good basis for comparison. I would also say that, you know, Tom and I have talked uh, about the trailers that they used to make for those original films. I, I know Tom had some thoughts on that. I'll let him weigh in on, on uh, you know, what he said in the past about the trailers, just with regard to how they compare to what we have today. Oh yeah. They just didn't pack the punch that they have today. I mean, we, we went back and we did our star Wars remembered series on, on my podcast, the high period adventures podcast. And before uh, some of the, uh, you know, the original trilogy, I would go back to those trailers and they'd be like, a guy, a girl, a galaxy, you know, and they, you know, they didn't have the classic John Williams music behind the first ones or anything, nothing that you would, you know, would really tie into star Wars. And they were just totally corny, you know, but that is, yeah, that is also what the the holiday special uh, is. And you're right. uh, You know, Gordon, that if you look back at that time period, I am from that same age as you. Um, I, and you know, I know that I watched many of the Donnie Marie, um, it's special, everything I, you know, I think where the, the holiday special lost it a little bit was that, 
you know, especially you go into it and yes, you know, you love Chewbacca and everything, but you spend like the first five minutes of it. And it's just a lot of grunts, you know, with no subtitles or anything. It's tough to even just get through the first few minutes of it at times. But, you know, I guess that's something that also can endear uh, you to it as well. Well, yeah. you can blame George for that. <laughs> George George was the one who dictated, this is going to be on the Wookiee planet, right. and it's going to be about Life Day, and it's going to be Wookiees. And then then he just kind of, you know walked away and started working on the empire strikes back right and uh eight producers and five writers later uh you get the, you get the star wars holiday mash um yeah it was the the i i remember sitting there in front of our television i actually um i had actually received a tape recorder a cassette tape recorder for christmas the year before and i was audio taping the entire thing. And to this day, I can still quote, oops, I can still quote lines of dialogue uh, from memory because I, I played that tape out. I, I, I ruined that tape. And I actually remember the cadence and the frequency of the Wookiee growls <laughs> just because, you know, I, I was a kid. I was listening yeah. to it over and over and over again, you know, like, like every kid does today, uh, you know, all the, all the children who keep watching Frozen over and over again right. should be able to, you know, quote that film from memory. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, <laughs> um, at, at our at the uh, charity thing that we do with the Star Wars holiday special, and sure. and I have to say, the charity thing is not my deal. The charity thing is uh, something that's independent here in town. Mm -hmm. uh, they do it every year as uh, a fundraiser for Toys for Tots. So in order to come in and watch the Star Wars holiday special with a bunch of other Star Wars fans, you have to donate toys. Um, but um, so when when uh, we when they started doing this, they found out that one of the writers was Pat Proft and Pat Proft. Uh, he worked on Police Academy. Mm -hmm. He did Hot Shots, Naked Gun, Real Genius, Bachelor Party. Um, a bunch of those big kind of goofy of the age, right? yeah. comedy films. And they invited him to come and speak at the event. And they invite him formally every year. They send him a letter and they, you know, and he, I think he finally stopped responding. <laughs> but for the first several years, he wrote back very nice letters calling everyone complete idiots <laughs> for sitting and wasting their time watching this thing. Um, and, and he meant it tongue in cheek, of course, right. but, uh, you know, he, he absolutely does not want to sit down and view this thing. Um, and uh, who can blame him? But, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it was becoming a tradition yeah. that he would write back and, uh, call everyone moron. Um, <laughs> It's funny. I saw I saw a quote from him where he had been interviewed about it, and uh, he said, "You know, Wookies played a big part in it. Stormtroopers were harassing them. I don't have the script. Uh, it sure as hell wasn't it ended, wasn't what it ended up being. So yeah. apparently, what they wrote for it wasn't specifically what was used. Uh, I'm sure that you know, as it got into production, and they had to kind of tweak things to to make it fit. And it very much does." the point you made about it being that whole variety kind of layout, they wanted to make sure that they brought in some big names. It's interesting because Lucas kind of looked at this as a way to promote star Wars, which at the time you'd argue that 
probably nothing in the history of the world needed to be promoted less. Right. Um, you know, but to, to your other point, you know, it was a different time. Uh, there was not, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, there wasn't Star Wars out there everywhere you turned around. Right now there's more Star Wars than you can consume. But at yeah. the time we had a movie out there. Uh, by the time this got released, you know, they had, they had released, um, I think, cause this got released in, uh, 1979, 78, 78. I'm sorry. It was November of 78. Right. So, you know, we were still a couple year and a half away from the release of empire. Uh, mm -hmm. and there wasn't much going on other than people going back to watch star Wars in the theaters over and over mm -hmm. <laughs> and over. Uh, I very specifically remember that there were, uh, I mean, you're right. They, they didn't really need to advertise star Wars at this point because it was still going gangbusters in the, in the movie theaters. Um, there were, um, cut out masks on the back of like Cheerios. Mm -hmm. You, you know, there were, there were those kind of tie-ins, um, general mills at that time, I think was in the process or had already bought Kenner. Yeah. So, when the empire strikes back came out, there were all those kind of mail away tie in sort of things with the Boba Fett. And the, um, there was also a, a, a little accessory pack that you could mail away for that had the, the gas masks that they wore on the asteroid and yeah. the, you know, Luke's backpack that you could put Yoda in. <laughs> and that was just an accessories pack that you could save box tops and mail yeah. away for. Um, and, uh, that was that was real close to the end of any of that kind of thing, you know the 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 classic you know you need to save box tops and right. mail away, um, but uh, yeah they they really didn't need to promote Star Wars but George he thought you know well I got to keep this fresh in everybody's mind we got another movie coming out, um, <clears throat> and to his chagrin he trusted people to you know handle the property and. Um, they did what they thought they knew how to do. Right. Um, and that was put on another variety show. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, jamming in a musical number every 10 minutes yeah. really wasn't the smartest idea, but it's what they knew. They, yeah. You know, it's what you do. That's right. the format, the formula. I mean, they were working off a formula for sure. And it is interesting because it was probably the only time it could have happened. I mean, based off the success of the original star Wars film and the fact that Lucas was kind of like, Oh my God, I now have the money to, to make my own films or to bankroll my own films. And he was starting to kind of formally put ILM together, uh, and create the company and, you know, move everything up to the Northern part of California and organize, you know, essentially what was going to become his, you know, Skywalker ranch up there. Uh, he was very distracted with a lot of things going on and it was very un unlike him to give any court sort of creative control with anything regarding star Wars to anyone else and then kind of let it go. You know, he wanted, he wanted to kind of be overseeing what was going on. It was probably the only time in the history of star Wars that you could have actually made this without him having his oh. finger in everything. There was, there was a, a scary gap and we fell into it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> we, we, uh, we stepped in the bear trap and, uh, <laughs> didn't realize it was common. Um, yeah. Um, real quick, just as an aside for, sure. uh, the listeners, there's a great book out right now. Um, by one of the guys who worked in Lucasfilm uh, promotions. He was like the fan liaison, I think. 
It's called Star Wars Memories, My Time in the Death Star Trenches. Um, if you can find that book, look it up. Because if you, if you li- like me, if you like knowing the context of what was going on during the time when Star Wars was being made and The Empire Strikes Back was being made and uh, what you mentioned, the, the move to Marin County or, or you yeah. know, the, the, the new, the new uh, Lucasfilm uh, facility, yep. uh, that's all in this book. I, I've just been reading it which is why it's fresh in my mind and which is why I mentioned yeah. it now. Um, yeah, look that up because it's, it's actually a bunch of fascinating information about how they promoted star Wars, yeah. um, going to conventions. Um, you know, one of their first, their first things was they, they took the real R2D2, the real C3PO and the real Darth Vader costumes to a convention. And they just kind of had them standing in a corner with a little barricade. And, you know, it was, it was before star Wars was known. So, right. you know, people would come in and go, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. And, and and who cared? You know, nowadays you'd have people up there with micrometers measuring R2-D2's uh, hollow emitter to make sure that their replica right. is accurate. Right. You know, I actually have a gentleman uh, who basically goes to a lot of the conventions. He's part of the Droid Builders Club. I want to get him on for an episode as well. Uh, and it's very much like that. You know, uh, he talks about the fact I, I ran into him at one of the the local cons and he was talking about the fact that, you know, well, technically the specifications for this droid should have been this, but you know, I had to make it wider to make sure that it kept the same dimensions in the cartoon. Cause no one had ever actually built a physical version of it. And so, you know, they are very detailed in terms of the things oh, yeah. that they're building. I'm sure you understand that coming from you know, I, that. Background I do. Cause of, I'm in the middle yeah. of building a droid myself. How are you? <laughs> oh, really? I'm, I'm building an R5. Nice. So, well, one nice. of these days, I'll, I'll have enough of it to recognize. Just be careful with that motivator. They tend yeah. to go, they tend <laughs> to go getting, bad. A brand new one. He's getting a brand. I'm getting it fresh, right out of the catalog. It's a way to go. Uh, yeah, the the, the R fives. They, uh, I think R five D four was framed. I but. think so too. Well, there there is supposedly a story where this was all a plan on his part to make sure that R two was taken by Owen Lars. Uh, so he could continue on with his mission. I, I kind of feel like that story got retconned in there a little bit. Um, is that the uh, is that the Skippy the Droid story? Is right, that what they, right. Is that what I, they call it? I don't know what the I don't know what they formally call it, but uh, I've wow. I've not gone in and and dug into it. But I, I definitely have heard um, that there's a, a story that has been crafted to kind of explain that he blew his motivator on purpose. Well, now, my my favorite <laughs> version of that. Oh, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Gordon. Go ahead. Uh, my favorite version of that is uh, from the Star Wars radio drama, the national public radio uh, radio version of Star Wars. And uh, it's R2. R2 messes with R5 uh, to, to blow That's his motor. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's totally within R2's character. Sure. You know, he's on a mission, baby. He's not going to, you know. He's he's working for the beautiful princess. He's got to get this thing done. And, uh, you know, 3PO admonishes him for messing around. He says, you know, 3PO says, R2, you know, you're not supposed to be messing with other droids without human supervision. Yeah. Um, and and <clears throat> that's another that's another thing that I've listened to a lot because I love the Star Wars radio yeah. drama as well. And, and again, another thing that I don't think probably a lot of people even know is out there. You know, Tom, you wanted to say something as well. I, yeah. I didn't mean to talk over you. 
No, no, no. I, I was just going to say that I'm glad that Gordon brought that up because I remember that, and I I couldn't recall where I couldn't remember if I uh, if I saw it in the uh, novelization of uh, you know A New Hope or whether it was the radio drama. Which actually, uh, my wife Michelle and I we used to have cassette tapes of the I think it was actually Empire Strikes Back radio drama, and we would we would take road trips. We would pop those in and listen to them. And they're just so fun to check back. Yeah. If you can ever find those anywhere, they are really well done. I mean, radio dramas are so good anyway, as a person yeah. who loves radio, um, they, they're just so well done and that the star Wars ones really tell the story well, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, um, I, I knew I remembered somewhere in some form that R2, they, it was referred to that R2 may have been the one that, um, made R5 pop that motivator. So mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah, I, I love the I love the radio dramas. I particularly love the first one um, because it really does delve into uh, outside of what we see in the film. But, uh, you know, the, the others are great, too. Um, Perry King as Han Solo is really good. I, you know, I was I was very impressed with his performance. Um, Brock Peters as Darth Vader was also very good. Um, and of course, Mark Hamill plays Luke in yeah. the first two and then than somebody else in the third one. I don't um, envy anyone who has to take over the voice of Darth Vader uh, and, and replace mm -hmm. a James Earl Jones. Uh, that's, that is a tall order of business, no matter who you are. But the holiday special, right? Yeah. Which is what no, we're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, to get back to the holiday special a little bit, I know that one of the things that we had talked about uh, a little bit earlier, Gordon was the fact that, you know, the, the way that they have created the Mandalorian and certainly it pulls uh, some key components from that star Wars holiday special. Uh, but you know, they finally started to create some star Wars that really has that feel of what uh, a, what we had in the original trilogy, but also kind of that, that new canvas, I guess um, for them to kind of go out and explore the universe and not touch on things that were part of that core Skywalker trilogy. Um, you know, what did you think of, of that Boba Fett short that they had in the holiday special? Actually, I, that blew my mind. Yeah. I, I thought that was what I, I think like everybody else who's ever watched it, that's probably the highlight of the entire show. Yeah. Even though let's just say it, Han Solo's head looks <laughs> really weird, <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter. It was produced by uh, Nelvana mm -hmm. animation who eventually went on to do the droids and the Ewoks cartoons. But they also did, uh, they did a bunch of like holiday kind of cartoons. Um, there was one that was a, I think it was a Halloween cartoon that was called the devil and Daniel mouse. And that cartoon eventually got expanded and they wrote a script based on that, which became the animated movie rock and rule, which was pretty amazing if you haven't seen it it's something to take a look at um it's got music from pretty much every uh heavy hitter of the era um you know debbie harry is in it and and uh um uh, earth wind and fire and you know i mean you know name somebody from from that particular era and, right. and they did music for it um and it's uh it's it's basically it's you know um the, the devil and Daniel Webster, that story, which is basically the Faust story. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but that, you know, the, the, uh, the animated cartoon, I, I was really disappointed with how they animated R2, but, yeah. 
he he just kind of looked like a blob with yeah. some legs but, i i wasn't a huge fan <laughs> of any of that animation style but the story i thought was interesting uh, and certainly yeah. the introduction of boba fett as a character um you know and, and again boba fett who was such an interesting character even in the films for so long but you really knew very little about him uh if yeah. you weren't into reading the books and things like that so to see his character starting to get uh, addressed a little bit more within the Mandalorian is very cool. Um, yeah. Going back to uh, some of the some of the aspects of the entertainment that they that they dovetailed into that holiday special, I think that was one of the other things I think that made it a little bit discordant for a lot of Star Wars fans, which was the music that they were playing Jefferson Starship and uh you know B Arthur singing or Carrie Fisher singing or you know the musical numbers that they were putting in there Diana Carroll um those were I mean that was the music of the time but Star Wars departed from that uh in the way that they addressed the music within the film itself going with that you know classical um, orchestral music and, and having John Williams craft that. So I think it was kind of strange to see Star Wars characters and then this kind of musical backdrop to it that didn't feel like Star Wars made that pretty interesting as well. Their choice of music was being dictated by who they could get yeah. <laughs> for the show. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's we also got to remember that at the time when they made the Star Wars holiday special, they didn't know anything about the star wars universe True. they knew literally nothing right so it was like oh um so we we're gonna do a cooking show and what's gonna be funny oh uh the the cook will have silver skin and a big wig and we'll have four arms yeah. because that's funny <laughs> and that you know and and that's that's how the comedian writers were thinking at right. that time i bet it was bruce valanche who wrote that sketch um <laughs> Totally makes sense. And, they certainly got uh, their money's worth you know, out of Harvey Corman. Yes, yes. Um, also, it's pretty evident that Harvey was only willing to do one take, <laughs> and they gave him cue cards. And uh, you know, at, uh, when he's when he's doing Gormanda, the the chef, right? Um, he makes that mistake in there with the whip, whip, stir, or whatever it is that he says, and then he's he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm not doing like, another take." <laughs> And and that's you know he just he just made it part of the character and and kept going and saved the take which yeah. is if you only want to do one take right. <laughs> that's how you do it right um, I think I mean, especially with Harvey Corman you you talk about him being from the like the Carol Burnett show during that yeah. period and they would regularly you know bust each other up within that so I'm sure that just you know going off of that. Uh, landmark there that he just said you know this is how we're going to do it if something goes wrong it's just going to be part of the fun special you know yeah yeah well even um, with b arthur you know they said that if she did a take and they said well we want to do a second take and she what did i do wrong you know they said that she yeah. was a little bit difficult to work with but i'm sure you know and it's interesting to say that it was dictated by who they could get because mm -hmm it's hard to imagine in this day and age, anyone turning down anything related to star Wars. Uh, yeah. but at the time they did, you know, even with as successful as the film was, there was no guarantee it was going to be this iconic monolithic, you know, it's a new mythology essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, even, even at the time, um, there were still people who 
weren't looking forward into the future and were basically saying, yeah, this is a this is a flash in the pan where, you know, right. this is going to happen. It's all just kiddie entertainment. And uh, in a few years, we'll be back to Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, you know, and, and also you got to remember that um, like uh, B. Arthur and, and Harvey Corman and, and uh, Art yeah. Carney, yeah. Uh, they were TV pros. Right. You know, they, they knew what they were doing and uh they knew they knew how to make things funny within that era you know i mean right right now if you go back and you watch art carney's mugging to the camera and and uh harumphing and and all that kind of thing people kind of go yeah that's kind of lamey dad humor right sort of you know not so funny um but there was there there really was no such thing as edgy humor at the time um you know you couldn't get away with edgy humor on tv so, you know, when uh, when uh, Mala and Chewbacca kiss at the end, it's all very chaste and, you know, not not in any way salacious. On the other hand, we have uh, Diane Carroll doing her number <laughs> for itchy yeah. uh, in, a, in a Bob Mackie original. And uh, that was obviously specifically thrown in there because everybody knew that dad was going to be sitting there watching this thing with the kids uh, and uh you know they they wanted to have something going on for dad um a lot of people make much more of that number than i think is really intended right but uh you know you can you can read in whatever you want to read in <laughs> but uh yeah it was it was a bit steamy for the era i think but then again we're also talking about an era where they played uh, the the uh, Dean Martin roasts on television. True, and they didn't hold back. No, <laughs> so you know it was, uh, you know, comparatively, I think that the Diane Carroll number was actually pretty mild to what it could have been. Oh, for sure. Oh, it was a glimpse into the future of uh, virtual reality coming <laughs> along, and you can watch whatever you want on virtual reality. I, you know, we 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 have Star Wars games now in virtual reality. Why not branch into, you know, a very pretty lady singing a wonderful, you know, a nice song or whatever. But it was just a little interesting. It was kind of a weird, that scene, I think more than any other scene in the whole thing, just kind of takes you out of the whole storyline. It is really. Yes. And psychedelic and uh, just a little odd, I'll say. Well, Itchy's uh, I, face doesn't help. It looks like it was thrown together yeah. with spare parts. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that number, I mean, of all the stuff in the show, that number I think is possibly the most egregious, um, just because it is, <clears throat> it, it is just full on stop. Right. You know, there's suddenly we are no longer even anywhere near Star Wars. We're you know doing some kind of weird little. Um, oh, <laughs> it's a variety show thing. It's a right. variety show number. Um, uh, yeah, it was. There, there really wasn't any purpose for that whatsoever, uh, you know, except to let us know that Itchy was an interspecies kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, a look into the future. A look into the future. Um, Long before we knew about uh, was a pansexual Lando and his yes, affinity for and droids. Whatever. Yes, Land, Lando uh, uh, has, has a machine fetish or something. Yes, I yes. guess. Real quick. Um, about the people inside those Wookiee suits. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I did a little research. I knew a couple of these people before, but 
Um, Mala, Chewbacca's wife, was actually played by a man named Mickey Morton. And uh, he passed away in 1993. I've got some notes. I always take notes. Um, but he was on the original Star Trek. He was he was in a couple or at least one episode of the original Star Trek. Um, and the other <laughs> the other train wreck that he was involved in was a thing called Legend of the Superheroes. Um, it was probably, I think, early 70s, hmm. early to mid 70s. And they did a live action kind of um, thing. They, they brought back Adam West and Burt Ward to be Batman and Robin. And then they had a bunch of other people dressed up being the superheroes, the DC superheroes. And then they had a bunch of, of um, fairly well-known kind of people dressed up as the villains. <laughs> I remember Charlie Callis played Sinestro. And, uh, but um, Mickey Morton played uh, um, Solomon Grundy. Oh. On Legend of the Superheroes, uh, he got to stand around and be stupid, is what basically <laughs> what it came down to. Um, uh, as far as Itchy, Itchy was played by a man named Paul Gale. And Paul Gale worked with the Croft people for a while. He worked with Sid and Marty Croft. Um, he played one of the older brothers on Sigmund and the Sea Monster. He was, he was one of the big Sea Monster guys, uh, costume character. And he did he did a lot of uh, a lot of 1970s TV shows. He did costume work. You know, you you never really saw him much. Right. Um, and then speaking of Sid and Marty Croft, we have Patty Maloney, who played Lumpy, the son. And Patty Maloney was a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I think she still is a woman. She's still alive, as far <laughs> as I know. <laughs> um. But if you remember the TV show Buck Rogers in the 25th century, oh, yeah. she was Tweaky's stand-in as well as she played Tweaky's girlfriend, Tina. Um, oh, I remember them both. Tweaky yeah. was always toting around Dr. Theopolis. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well, she, she, has, she has quite a large resume. Um, she played Birdie for the McDonald Land characters. Gotcha. Um, she was in the movie Ice Pirates, another great oh, train wreck of a film. Yes. Um, she did a lot of cartoon voices. Um, she played Darla on the um, uh, Little Rascals cartoon. Um, but she, you know, she was in she was in the Adams Family movie. Mm -hmm. um, she's one of the one of the people dancing in the in the uh, the celebration for Fester. Um, and uh, because I know her mostly. Because of the Far Out Space Nuts, which is one of my favorite Croft Saturday morning live action shows. Had uh, Bob Denver, who played Gilligan, and Chuck McCann uh, as two guys. Uh, everyone remembers, I said lunch, not launch. And that's, that was the beginning of the show. <laughs> These two guys who were supposed to be stocking the space capsule with food end up accidentally launching into outer space. That's the whole show. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> I haven't thought of that show Probably since it's been on, but I remember that show. I used to watch that show as a kid as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, now, you know, the exact timber of the kind of entertainment I enjoy. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, you know, those are the Wookiees. Yeah. That's the Wookiee family. Um, you know, and then there were a couple other unknowns as Mark Hamill guy and yeah. Harrison Ford guy and some crazy chick singing at the end. I don't know. But <laughs> 
And don't forget, we had a couple appearances by Alec Guinness. Um, yes. Uh, we also had uh, Anthony Daniels uh, was there as C-3PO. I thought it was interesting. So Kenny Baker, however, was not involved because they actually by this point had gotten the R2-D2 droid to actually run on remote <laughs> properly, mm-hmm. which they couldn't basically the entire making of the initial star Wars film. Uh, but you know, they had, they had all the, all the core members of the cast. Uh, Peter Mayhew was there as chewy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely incredibly campy. Uh, but I understand. I mean, I can understand why you enjoy it. You talk about, you know, those foundations of your childhood at that point in time. And, as you pointed out, I think that, uh, you know, anyone who is not familiar with how they did those variety shows, this was an era where, where TV did not know how to handle a film like star Wars. Uh, and this was another example of that. I mean, they were dealing with something that they just didn't understand. Um, variety shows were the norm. Yeah. So it, it's no real surprise that they decided to jam them together and and right. uh you know they, they they were all thinking we're going to make a bunch of money because we're going to crank this thing out and everyone's going to walk away rich yeah <laughs> and um well they ended up if i remember correctly on the on the ratings they didn't even break the top 10 as a as a special yeah you know they were they were beat out by you know whatever love boat, whatever was playing that night. And, uh, well, it wasn't wonder woman and incredible Hulk. Cause that's what they preempted. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's on, that's on most of the, uh, most of the videos that you can get of this thing. Um, that's how I knew <laughs> it's, it's possible. It be shown even, tonight. Uh, it's possibly even on the, if you go on YouTube, you can see it in pieces. Um, it's probably on there too. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a train wreck, but you know, it was it was our train wreck. It was <laughs> it was a we didn't know we were kids, you know. <laughs> um we could have we could have been uh we 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 could have been sold a bill of goods and and not known the difference and and maybe we were, but uh you know, it's nostalgia. So yeah. you take the good with the bad. Yeah. You're not saying we look at things through a more critical lens as adults, are you? uh oh oh no okay no not at all no yeah no i wouldn't uh i wouldn't say that politics yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) no i talk about you know when when you talk about star wars you know you've got your people who are very tied to the original trilogy you've got uh you can almost tell when someone was born just by hearing what star wars films they they are most deeply connected to because it really is what was current when you were going through those formative childhood years uh, yeah. you know, people, people who are growing up when the prequel trilogy was out, had a lot of great things to say about the prequel trilogy. Whereas people who were OT fans, you know, were looking at it a little bit more critically, um, or a lot more critically. Uh, and certainly the sequel trilogy is, is the same type of thing. So. Well, I remember after, after seeing episode four in the theater as a child, my father and I were driving home after the movie, and I said, what did you think of that? Wasn't that amazing? And my dad said, yeah, black hats, white hats, it's all the same, you know, Western show. Yeah. And it just just crushed me. Just absolutely, <laughs> you know, blew my mind that he could be so blasé about the most amazing thing that ever happened yep. in a movie theater. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
It was, I, it was astonishing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 what it's what sets up those neurons that makes you the happiest, I guess. Absolutely. And there's a lot to be uh, said for Star Wars in terms of making people happy. So I think we'll leave this conversation there. Uh, Gordon, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you uh, both at Puppet Forge and uh, Transylvania Television. Um, my website is thepuppetforge.com. Um, the website for Transylvania Television is transylvania-tv.com. And there are convenient links there to find our show. Um, you can see it on uh, Tubi TV and several other streaming platforms. Um, and uh, this has been just a, a great time. And I, I you know, I, I did a lot of talking. I'm really sorry that no, that's I, okay. If, if that's I, that's why I we brought you on. <laughs> expounding on any of your thoughts, uh, but uh, you know, this is this is one of my one of my big kind of uh, soapboxes. I really yeah. uh, I really love defending this show, even though as as someone who loves it. I know every flaw that it has. <laughs> I'm intimately familiar with every flaw. So, yeah, thank you. Thank yep. you for having me on. Absolutely. I really appreciate you making time. Tom, you want to go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you and all of your various endeavors? <laughs> sure. Uh, as well as being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. And thank you, Gordon. Uh, really, uh, it. May he listen to us talk all the time. It's good to hear another yes. voice and especially uh, talking about something that uh, passion is a big, important thing. And that's uh, why we do podcasts, why we talk about the things we talk about. And that's why we like to bring on guests like you, because uh, you're passionate about something. And and it's important for people to know that may, may, just because th maybe you don't enjoy it as much, that there are, are other viewpoints out there and it may enlighten you a little bit. So thank you, Gordon. Um, as far as if you want to listen to my podcast that I do with my wife, Michelle, it's called the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. We talk a lot about Disney, but we also talk Star Wars, Marvel, um, the Muppets. Um, we do talk about a lot of different things on there. And you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the very best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And we do have a YouTube channel that you can just do a search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Hit subscribe. And you'll know whenever we have a new video up. Awesome. And certainly for us, uh, you can find us at jtapodcast.com or on any podcatcher. If you want to reach out, uh, give us feedback on any show, which is how we met Gordon in the first place uh, and set this up a year ago almost, uh, then you can reach out to us at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter and Pinterest at jtapodcast. So thank you guys so much. I uh, hope you all have a wonderful holiday, Christmas, New Year. I don't think we'll be back until probably uh, beginning of 2021. Uh, but with that being said, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Bright suns, traveler. Bright suns. Bright suns.